the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Your job is to represent Jesus well. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your job is to represent Jesus well. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your job as an ambassador is to represent Jesus well. You are ambassadors of Christ. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We're going to look at one verse in Luke 23. If you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to find Luke 23, verse 34. We'll get there in just a moment. Do you ever feel misunderstood? Have you ever wondered if anybody knows what you're going through? I'm beginning a new series of messages on the final words of Jesus. And these words from the cross help us understand that he, Jesus, he gets us. He does understand. He does see us even at the points of deepest need. He not only knows and he understands, but he's felt what we feel. So, you've been abused? He gets you. You feel alone? Jesus gets you. You've been neglected? He gets you. You feel needy? Jesus gets you. Are you walking through sorrow? He gets you. Have you been tripped up as you've succumbed to sin? He gets you. These passages we're going to look at have been called the last words of Jesus. We know that's not really accurate because though Jesus does die, praise the Lord, he rises again. Jesus raises himself from the dead. He spends 40 days with his disciples, those he loved. And then he ascends into heaven after giving us his true last words, our marching orders to make disciples of others, to see others become his followers. But we do think of these some as their last words. Last words can be revealing. Warren Wearsby says they're like an x-ray that can reveal the heart and the mind of a person. For example, John F. Kennedy's last words on that fateful sunny day in November in 1963 were, My God, I've been hit. Beethoven, the famous composer, said, Friends, applaud. The comedy's over. 
Henry Ward Beecher, the famous preacher, he said, now comes the mystery. William Palmer, a murderer who was nicknamed the Prince of Poisoners, he was about to be executed by hanging. And as he stepped out onto that trap door of the gallows where they were going to put a noose around his neck and end his life, he asked, are you sure it's safe? (laughs) And Samuel Goldwyn, the famous movie mogul, as he lay on his deathbed, said, I never thought I'd live to see this day. As we look at the words of Jesus, we see the core of his existence. We see what the cross meant to him. But as we think about the cross, you're also going to see what it should mean to us. Have you thought about the cross? We see all the attributes of God on display on the cross. But we see all the neediness of man, of us. On the cross, we see our sin. We see our shortcoming. We see our failure. We see our brokenness. In fact, it's on the cross that we find the answer of one of life's biggest questions. Well, where was God when... Where was God when my loved one died? Where was God when my marriage fell apart? Where was God when I was being abused? Where was God when I lost my job? We see exactly where God was and we see what he was doing. We see what that means to us. And the answer is clear. He was there. He was with us, but yes. He was also on the cross, suffering with you, agonizing for you, speaking to you, into your life, helping you see that he gets you. He he reminds us that his wounds were not bandaged so that our brokenness could be healed. His needs were not met so that our thirst, our wants might be quenched. His sorrow was so great So that our grief could be taken away. Our God has wounds. And that should change us. In fact, that must change us. Because it's at the cross. It's at the cross where we first see the light. It's at the cross where the burden of our hearts roll away. It's there by faith we receive our sight, and that's what gives us the ability to be happy all the day. In an African village, one of the huts was burning down. All of the family members except one died in that fire because at the last minute, a stranger from the village rushed in and took out the small child because they were superstitious the next morning The village leaders began to meet and they thought this child must be special because his life was spared when everyone else was lost. And so a wise man in the village staked claim to the child. And then a wealthy man in the village staked claim to the child. But then a stranger walked in. And when his hands were outstretched, you could see the burn marks. He had been the one to go in and rescue the child. 
And as the rescuer, he said, no, I'll take care of this one. Friends, I want you to understand whatever you're facing, he gets you. He he understands however deep you're hurt. He is your rescuer. What you're going to see that Jesus endured on the cross, he endured so that he might stake claim to you, so that you understand there's nothing in your life that has to keep you down. There's nothing you can go through that has to keep you from him. There's no moment you were ever separated from his love. In fact, there's, there's just one point to this message, and I'm going to drill it in as much as I can. And that point is this. Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt. He gets your pain. I hope you recognize that. Jesus suffered physically. There were nails driven into his hand. His feet were nailed to the cross. A crown of thorns was placed on his head and pushed down so much that blood began to fill his eyes. In that moment, it hurt him even to breathe. He had been beaten. He would be stabbed. Jesus hurt physically. You. But he also hurt emotionally. They stripped him naked on the cross. Since the Garden of Eden, it had been clear that nakedness was not something we really should be that comfortable with. They spat upon him. They called him names. He hurt emotionally for you. But Jesus also hurt spiritually. As you'll see, he he says, God, where are you? He felt alone. He was separated from God because he took on your sin and your sin. He took on your sin and my sin. He hurt spiritually for us. Harvey Branscombe summarizes the crucifixion with these words. Few more terrible means of execution could be devised. Pain and thirst, the torture of insects, exposure to brutal spectators, the horror, rigid fixation, all continuing interminably combined to make it a supreme humiliation and torture. Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt. He gets your pain. The crucifixion of Jesus was cruel. It was humiliating. It was unjust. And yet it's in that moment, it's in that setting that he forgave. Chuck Swindoll says that in spite of the enormous discomfort and the indescribable pain, Jesus spoke words of genuine forgiveness from the cross. And those are the first words that we hear. Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
And then fulfilling a prophecy from the Psalms, Dr. Luke records that they cast lots to divide his garments. We're going to focus on those red letter words, the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a revealing statement, isn't it? It reveals the nature of God and it reveals the need of man, us, our greatest need, meeting our greatest problem. What's our greatest problem? Sin. What's our greatest need? Forgiveness. So let's break that word down. And this verse starts with a conjunction. And reminding us that what Jesus said is connected with the past. And and we know that recent past, right? Jesus and his disciples, after praying in the garden, were met there by Judas, the betrayer, one of his closest friends, one of the 12. Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Have you ever had someone that you felt like you invested in, that you poured your life into, walk away? hurt you as they left. Judas turned him over to not only the Roman guards, but the religious leaders who would ask for his death. He would end up before Herod and then Pilate and these governmental leaders, these elected leaders, they would find nothing wrong with him. In fact, Pilate would come to the point where he looks and sees another criminal, one with many charges against him. His name is Barabbas. Say Barabbas. And that's what the crowd shouted that day. They said, no, give us Barabbas. We would rather have the criminal with us than Jesus. So Pilate washed his hands and turned him over. The Sadducees, the religious leaders, they were there just grinning ear to ear. They got exactly what they wanted. So then the Roman guards, the soldiers, they begin to do their work. They beat him. They whipped him. They spat upon him. They made fun of him. And then they took him. And they nailed him to the cross. His hands and his feet. Jesus had walked through the streets. You can walk that path today with that cross beam on his shoulders until it got so heavy that a man named Siren, the, Simon the Cyrene, he came alongside him and he helped him. But, but when they got there, they nailed Jesus to the cross and they jabbed it into the ground and it had to puncture his lungs and cause him to find difficulty breathing. This was common the Romans would kill about 30,000 people a year on a cross. It could take up to nine days for them to die. It's in that context that Jesus begins to speak. And what did he say? He prayed. The first words of Jesus from the cross, they were a prayer. That should say something to us. 
Prayer must become our first response, not our last resort. Prayer must be a habit, a spiritual discipline that we develop in our life, as the Apostle Paul says, so that we pray without ceasing. What, what if God only gave you in your life those things that you had earnestly asked for in prayer? What if your only blessings were those things that you had sought out from God through prayer? What if the only life change around you in your family, in your community, in your career, in your schooling, in any aspect of your life only came as a result of prayer? Jesus prayed and he he prayed continually. It says, and Jesus said, that word said is the imperfect tense, which literally means again and again. So just imagine as they were nailing his hands, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. As they were nailing his feet, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. As they jabbed that cross into the ground, Jesus prayed. As they jeered at him, as the disciples had left him, Jesus prayed. As he breathed his last breaths, Jesus prayed. When you experience hurt, the first thing you should do is pray. It's an issue of focus. Stop focusing on the hurt and start focusing on the Father, which is the next word I want you to see. It was a personal word. He was praying to his father, and we understand that because we believe in what we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Bible teaches that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. Did you know that? Do you understand that? When when you step across that faith line, you're adopted into God's family, and just as clearly as That day when we sat in the Hillsborough County courtroom and I looked at a judge and I answered the tough questions and I I said that we would take this young girl into our home and that she would bear my name and be a part of my family and that became a legal transaction. In the same way, if you follow Christ, you become a part of God's family. You become a child of God. (laughs) Romans 8.15 puts it this way, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons. You could say as daughters, by which we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. Now, you may in this world not have known an earthly father that represented God well. I was blessed. I did. But let me just tell you something that means regardless of your experience. That means with God as your father, you have one who loves you unconditionally. You have one who loves you in an unchanging way. And you have one whose love is unending. 
I want you to understand this today. If you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, you were adopted into the family of God. God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what your experiences have been in life. God loves you and he cares about you as your father. This is so important. Because you're going to focus on him, not those hurts. You're going to focus on him, not those that have done you wrong. You're going to focus on him, not the pain. But it was also a pardoning word. Because the meat of the statement is clear. Father, forgive them. You can't begin to understand the Christ life without understanding forgiveness. That's who we are. That's what is supposed to separate us. It's that that distinguishes us from the world. Not these religious gatherings. Not even these disciplines or habits that we have. It's this ability to practice that which God has done for us. To forgive. Even when it may seem unforgivable forgiveness it sounds good it sounds great until you have to do it this is not new for jesus right he's preaching that famous message where kind of the groupies come around not his disciples but the groupies i mean 5000 or more gathered maybe 20000 on a hillside it's called the sermon on the mount and and jesus is talking and and they ask him to teach him how to pray and and so he does and and we remember what he says in that prayer right he he begins again saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name cause your name to be sacred Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today, just as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Give me today what I need, my daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus ends that prayer, and then he realizes, I don't think they got it. And so he drives home that point again, and he says, let me just say something to you. If if you don't learn to forgive, you will not be forgiven. I grew up in church, and I've, I've been around church all my life, and for the last 30 years, this has been my vocation. It's been the primary focus of my life. And there's a lot of problems in church. I mean, gossip's a problem in church. And, uh, you know, uh, division can be a problem in church. And there's all kind of habits and addictions that come into people's lives that spring up and become a problem in church. And good grief, a failure to be generous is a problem in church. But if you were to ask me, what's the number one problem in church? I don't even have to think. It's unforgiveness. It's that those who profess to follow Christ don't forgive as he forgave. And if we really believe the words of Jesus, then if that's the case, our eternal security may be in jeopardy. Because according to Jesus, you you don't have this Christian existence 
if you have not become a forgiver. Jesus modeled it in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he reminded Peter of this, right? Peter, who, who was in the habit of sticking his foot into his mouth, was trying to just figure out exactly what's the minimum I have to do. Do any of you ever live that way? I sometimes struggled. In, in classes throughout a long educational process, I, I sometimes would act that way. What do I have to do? It's kind of like, what's passing? I mean, can I just pass? Peter said, how, how many times do you have to forgive Jesus? Seven? That's a, that's a holy number. Do I have to forgive seven times? And Jesus tells a story to drive his point home, but ultimately he says what? Nah. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.